is human in our relationships in our plans and in our well-being i never really talked about it with anyone never considered it a issue that is worth discussing even in me exploring philosophy and these deep questions of what makes us human what makes us different from other animals or what it means to have the full human experience i never really thought about memory up to a point because i realized that i struggle with it a lot i worry about my memory abilities and the memory abilities of my loved ones and then I sometimes can become very jealous of people who I think have better memory than me which is weird because I most of the time I do that subconsciously and it falls into the category of the things that you don't have control over so it's really weird to compare it it's like comparing your nose to someone else's nose That's the kind of nose that I've been born with and this is yours and that's it. That's the end of the discussion. But I would be lying if I said that I did not do that. I worry about it a lot. I started worrying about my memory about, I think, around my 18th birthday. You see, I have this tradition whereby each year around the time of my birthday, I would read all of my old journals and browse childhood photo books and that year for some reason I just couldn't find the journals anywhere and I don't know I was sure that I must have lost them or thrown them away uh, during one of my manic decluttering episodes so I was distraught really I was very disappointed because it was then that I realized I don't really remember my life and my emotional state from the previous five to to ten years i mean i've always known that i like to go back to these journals and browse through them but i never really really asked myself the question of why do i feel the need of doing that and the reason is i don't really look back a lot in my life i'm a person who's quite present or or maybe quite focused on the future and pursuing things. And I have to arrange and devote time to reading and looking back and being nostalgic and remembering things. Like, sure, I, I do have some objective episodic knowledge of what has happened in my life and of events uh, that took place, of or who were my friends at some time. But my view of the past really is riddled with holes so to speak assigning events to a specific date defining the nature or the depth of my relationship with some people um, outlining the highlights of a trip retrieving 
the skills that I learned during a course or some kind of training, all of this I I, I found and and I still find, I just find it difficult fishing for for the very specific information from even my early teenage years. I find that surprisingly difficult. But back then, more importantly and more terrifyingly, I realized that it is really hard for me to retrieve the thoughts, the mindsets and the emotions, the feelings, subjective perspective from a particular period of my life. And again, I mean, I know some moments were particularly dark or difficult or traumatizing or on the other side of the spectrum, amazing, wonderful and exciting. But I know this only cognitively and objectively without being able to access how it truly felt and feel that in my body. And this is why I was so distraught upon realizing I lost all of my uh, old journals. Or not all, but the ones that I really uh, wanted to read. Ones from the, like, the hardest time of my life. And I just already felt so ashamed for forgetting the state of that past Julia and in a way for betraying her, I don't really know why I felt that way, but it felt like a betrayal. But now on top of that, I felt I didn't, I didn't even care enough to even keep these journals, to keep the only glimpses, um, the only door to that past. Julia, I didn't, I didn't even have enough respect to, to keep that. And so I felt very guilty and ashamed, uh, like betraying that past alone vulnerable Julia I eventually forgave myself and moved on realizing that life expects me to tread forward because it leaves behind those who stand still hopelessly trying to return to what is long gone but again I would be lying if I said that I overcame this obsession these intrusive thoughts and quite frankly insecurity about my memory especially a couple of months ago preparing for final exams I was really terrified by how much worse my memory could get on top of what I was already worried about uh, just simply when I had to spend additional mental energy on studying so that is why I am recording this podcast today um, because memory and my ability and the way it impacts so many areas of my life is something that I've been thinking a lot about. So like all other hypochondriac, overstressing about a health issue, naturally I did some digging on the internet. I wanted to see if really something is wrong with me or is this a generational thing or can I improve my memory? Or is it something that is happening now? Is it because I'm a student now and I, I have to memorize a lot of things? Or maybe I am totally fine and I'm just being irrational. I'm just comparing myself to extremely talented individuals who would, just no joke, be able to win memory competitions and I just casually hang out with me now. And you know what? That may be true, but... Okay, first things first. Maybe let's do the basic groundwork what is memory so according to squire from 2009 
Memory is defined as the faculty of encoding, storing, and retrieving information. So the failure of any of these three phases, the encoding or the storage or the retrieval, the failure of any of these three phases of information processing can be classified as a memory disorder. So no matter if a person struggles with creating new memories, maintaining them, or with consciously accessing them, any or all of these crucial abilities, they are inherently connected by society with what it means to be human. I mean, memory is all we have. The relationships with our loved ones, the work that we do, the language that we speak, the habits, you know, waking up, going to the toilet, washing, speaking the language or or navigating through our house or our city, our town, our personality, the things that we enjoy, the things that we don't enjoy, everything that we do is defined by our memory. You can take a person who is on the far left side, a young liberal woman. She, let's say, stereotypically is an artist and likes to spend her time playing the trombone. And then you can have an older guy more on the right side. He works at a consulting business drives to work with his expensive car, goes to church a lot and enjoys spending time with his family outside. He really enjoys fishing, again, very stereotypically. You can take both of these people and if you remove their memory, if they are not able to access their long-term memory and just have their short-term memory. These people, turns out that they are not different from one another. In most things, they are the same. You are left with a creature who needs to sleep, eat, drink, but has no abilities with language or no personal connections or relationships. They are the same. You know, the, the girl, she might be from Australia, The guy, let's say, he is from Croatia. But again, if you remove their memory, it doesn't matter where they're from. And I know this sounds obvious, but this is me emphasizing how memory defines who we are. Our personality, our relationships, our work. The reason people have safety in moving abroad and then finding a job is you can remove many of things and their physical possessions and their money, but they still have their skill. For example, I can move somewhere and I know that I'm a great painter and I don't have to worry about my job because no one can take away the memory of and the skill of painting. So I know that that will provide me financial security and uh, make me a member of the society creating monetary value. And 
I, in the same way I kept thinking about all the people with brain damage or memory disorders who were studied in experiments that I would learn about in my psychology class. People like Henry Gustav Molleson, often referred to as the HM patient. He was a famous case of anterograde and retrograde amnesia in psychology. So he was a person who suffered a lot of seizures. And to control these, he underwent brain surgery to remove his hippocampus and amygdala, which, yes, stopped the seizures, but significantly limited his ability to form new memories or remember the prior 11 years of his life. So a person could meet HM, get to know him, talk. It would be a normal interaction. A person could tell him their entire life story. And yes, he would understand this and probably even empathize with some of it. But if that person left to get a coffee from a nearby coffee shop, get some lunch and go for a walk, and then they would come back to HM, the patient would most likely ask, who are you? Or maybe even, what am I doing here? And what always struck me reading about this study, and I learned about it a lot, I had to memorize it, I kept thinking about the way he was treated and the whole nature of this study, because the big, biggest ethical issue with the case study on HM is the way he was treated doing all of these cognitive exercises that were supposed to show the researchers the role of the hippocampus in memory formation and develop memory models. He was doing different exercises, discussions, undergoing observation and interviews. And he devoted so many years of his life to Milner's study. The researcher's name is, is Milner. So he devoted so many years of his life to her study without consent because how could he give his consent if he would every so often forget who the researcher is and where he is and what is going on so this made me really think about how people with memory issues are not really treated like people they are treated as if they were lacking something some part of a proper person saying healthy, smart person, they're not viewed this way. And then if you think about it, on top of the fact that that autobiographical memory is the foundation, the basis, the cornerstone of personality, identity, culture, relationships, it is also defining what we spend our lives on. Because we try to get this great job, try to have this nice partner, collect all of these experiences, learn the language, read, learn the new language, read the book, see that place, meet that person, try pottery, go to a concert, go to work, devote our time to getting monetary value to then spend it on experiences and things. And without memory, without having the ability to access the memory of those events, of those experiences that we devoted so much of our resources on. Without memory, there it's nothing. What's the point of spending money on, on traveling, on 
meeting these new people, on reading all of these amazing books, watching these amazing movies, what is the point if we will forget about them in a couple of minutes, a couple of hours, a couple of weeks or months? And I really kept thinking about that again. My One of the intrusive thoughts was if my memory is bad, if I am not able to really to return to a book, to, to answer a question about the plot of a book that I read a couple of months ago. If I'm not able to tell a person or to explain or to remember what was it about, why I enjoyed it or why I didn't enjoy it, what is the point of reading it? Uh, yeah, same with books and, and things. You don't always remember the, the, the chapter and verse and the, all the details of what you read, but, but you remember the fact that um, something gave you a good, strong feeling that mm. you, you know, you're reading something that was important. So you're not like, focused on remembering the quotes, you, like a v- yeah. general idea? I don't feel the need to show off about memory. I, I like to, if I am going to show off, it's going to be just about having some really crazy idea mm-hmm. or something interesting rather than, you know, name dropping. A lot mm-hmm. of people name drop, showing off almost by how much you can memorize and how much you... And um, I, I personally... I don't, mm. I'm... So what you've just heard is a fragment of my conversation with my friends from London who happen to be elderly and I really wanted to hear their views on the subject and this is a product of my efforts to make my creations more inclusive, more diverse, to include more perspectives on different subjects. So throughout this episode and hopefully throughout episodes to come you will be able to hear more fragments such as this uh, from conversations with people from all walks of life. This for some people maybe is logical, maybe this is normal and maybe people think about it, but for me that really changed the way that I see my life and I set goals because I've always thought that I want to devote my life to collecting experiences to be able to look back at my life and think that was a rich filled life and I really did everything that I wanted but I think it's a false promise and maybe it's more important to focus on what I am able to enjoy now rather than say that I have great things to look back upon Because probably most of the great things I will probably not even remember or not remember properly. Another aspect of memory I've thought about a lot is reconstructive memory. If you have been studying psychology at some point, you know that it's a big subject. And it is said that memory is not this solid thing that you have an experience, you encode the memory, you maintain it and then you're able to access it and the memory does not change, it's the way that it was, represents your actual or subjective perspective on on that situation. But it is not the case. During all of these three stages of memory, the memory itself can become 
morphed into something absolutely different. So for instance, you will be talking to a friend about your experience going out, meeting different people, and they saw someone there and they told you about it, but you didn't see that person and you didn't talk to them. But through that conversation about that event, you will think that you also had seen that person and had talked to them. Or in a similar way, very often we think we have a memory of an event, of something that happened, but actually we saw a picture and based on that picture, we have created this memory of the event and we think that this is how it was, how I remembered it, but you assigned a story to that picture and it morphed into a memory which actually you never really had. And this again speaks to how insignificant it all is. If we, at the end of the day, can create the memory of something that actually never happened, completely sure that it it did. Because, for example, someone asked a leading question and we will answer in a certain way and we will be sure that this is the case. And if we can create a memory that never happened, then devoting your life to pursuing something, to collecting these great experiences is really pointless because you could create it yourself and if the illusion is enough then it's enough why bother running after it in one of the episodes of the being better podcast in which i talked about different theories on how relationships are made how connection is made i talked about how there is this theory that we fall in love with people because of good shared memories so we're in great situations together it makes us feel good and then looking back reminiscing on how it was how great it felt we can even idealize it a bit but the sheer aspect of that having that shared great memory will make us feel closer together and again here it emphasizes how memory forms relationships that we have in our lives but if it can be falsely reproduced then it questions the validity of the relationship and there also is something like prospective memory which simply put is the memory for intentions it enables us to remember to carry out an action that has been planned Um, some examples um, are when i would remember to call a friend at a specific time or take a prescribed medicine every night or buy a gift for a family member. So here it also speaks to how the memory of the past is crucial for doing anything in the future. So again, all of this is my train of thought in those recent weeks and months of how memory is what makes us human. It is what defines and shapes so many areas of our lives, or maybe all of them. I would argue all of them. From work, to ability, to relationships, to art, to identity, to culture, to health. We're nothing without it. And people who don't have it, who have memory disorders, are not treated as if they were full-on humans. So I guess that's why I am so scared about my 
memory not being the way that I would wish it to be. And while I was digging online to find more answers to see if this is a common problem, to gain other perspectives, which you will also hear from other people included in this episode, I found some interesting arguments and I would like to share them with you now. I couldn't really find, I mean, I didn't really dig that deep, but I don't have any specific statistics on global memory abilities and their level and the change of that level over time. So I cannot say that cognitive memory abilities are decreasing since X years or are relatively stable or are increasing. Also, it is pretty hard to measure that. But I found plenty, plenty, plenty of articles from the past five to ten years, but most of them were written after the pandemic or during the pandemic, that were discussing the issue that is becoming more common about memory being worse and people struggling with that. It may be also connected to the fact that A lot of people who are producing media are older now. So the people in the past 20, 30 years who would have memory issues were not in the workforce, were not producing media, were not really forced to face their memory inabilities. And now people who are older, who might experience a cognitive decline, usually still are working are working till you know even sometimes their 70s so maybe that is why there is this increase in the social awareness but this is just a disclaimer on why i think um there's been this increase in publicity but one theory that i never really thought about that a person that i interviewed suggested is that memory has always been a collective effort First of all, having more of a social thing rather than looking at the individual. So for me, books and knowledge is, is much more of a social thing. I've always loved education and, and studying when it's done in a more collective way rather than just me trying to pass an exam and mm. having to show off, show, show, show yeah. somebody how good my memory is. Uh, I think so. Like if you're with friends, I think you go on to a telepathic level mm. and there's so much jabbering. It becomes more telepathic because you just entering in certain words to a conversation mm -hmm. where you can retrieve I think better when it's a collective than you can oh yeah so the, in the, then memory kind of becomes a collective effort into yes. me providing a bit of information in you your... it pulls out oh yeah so in that way like people living in like more collective societies would retain information yeah. better yeah because yeah. everybody has a little bit of that incident or of that time, or of that happening. We are a collective social animal. We form tribes and we should never really consider a human individual in tackling any issues of the way we work, the way we think, our health. We are actually one 
big organism as a society as a community as a tribe because this is how we are biologically wired to live together to influence one another to influence the biology of one another and so she suggested that when we live in a tribe we go through events and experiences together and each person takes on one or two or three perspectives but then when we come together we exchange those perspectives and we build up on one another's memories and we create this collective memory this collective idea of what has happened and taking into consideration that we have lived in tribes and very collective closely knit societies for hundreds of thousands and actually millions of years then it makes more sense that memory would be better and memory abilities would be better in more collectivistic societies where we could improve on one another's limited cognitive capacity with these different perspectives we're so fractured in society we're so sort of like you know you're you're an individual and you're not part of a collective Mm-hmm. and you have to think on your own and retaining all of that on your own is a big ask really mm-hmm. whereas if it's a collectively done you've got more yeah, of a, a, in, yeah. an input it's like your external storage yeah external to- storage yeah, so yeah. totally it <laughs> So this is one aspect of how the modern individualistic society may be a cause of a decrease in memory ability as reported by at least the articles that I found. Um, And another aspect is that these days the modern human has simply too many things to remember and too much information to process all the time so we break down and we are not able to remember many of them well we actually should be patting ourselves on the back that we can uh, remember as much but we are not computers with infinite storage and from news to social media you know the old social media platforms and the new ones pop cultural references, the state of the economy, the new technologies, traveling, new places, new people, new languages, just go faster, go quicker, get rich in 30 days, warnings of nuclear war, another extreme weather event. Have you read this book that everyone is talking about? You need to be investing, what are you doing? Or cancer culture will get you, so you should learn to not say the wrong thing, so learn about this, or be creative, and don't forget about your community. Your garden is all you have, so you should learn vertical farming. These days, we are expected to process, remember, store, and go through so much information And even if we don't want to, we're not given a choice from advertisements to TV series. If you want to stay relevant, remain afloat in this very, very fast-paced river of the 21st century global society, you need to process and to constantly consume and learn and hold information and these days there are so many niches that you have to remember from again global politics 
to some pop culture references. For example, what a Met Gala is, or where Ukraine is on the map, or how to set a bank account. And for older folks who have to catch up on all of this, it is very hard. They don't, they don't know what they're doing and suddenly they're bombarded with this completely new reality. But I would argue that for people of my generation who were brought up in this stimuli-rich environment, information overload, I would argue that this is even harder for us because since the beginning, we were never able to develop a truly functional attention spam because we're jumping just from one piece of information to another, trying to process it, memorize it, store it, and then move on to the next one and then retrieve it, maybe the past one, because we need it, because school, because passions, because culture, because social media, because fear of missing out. We all suffer from, from FOMO. And that has very, very scary effects. A research paper titled Media Multitasking and Memory, the Differences in Working Memory and Long-Term Memory, suggests that chronic media multitasking is associated with a wider attentional scope and higher attentional impulsivity, which may allow goal-irrelevant information to compete with goal-relevant information, and as a consequence, heavy media multitaskers are able to hold fewer or less precise goal-relevant representations in the working memory. So in very simple terms, multitasking, jumping from one thing to another, one piece of media, one activity to another, different articles, conversations and places, different people, means that we have very very bad attention spans it is very hard for us to focus and we also have lower memory from working memory to long-term memory so this explains why I would struggle with remembering my early teenage years and why I would complain about being able to focus on studying which if you have listened to my podcast before you know that I have been complaining about that and I've been insecure about that for some time now and it has been suggested in many different articles papers experiments research and I'm sure that you've also seen it in your friends or in yourself that these days there's also growth in mental health issues such as depression or anxiety uh, because of the fast-paced, individualistic, very driven lifestyle. And these health issues are associated with decreased memory capacity. So again, an article that I found suggests that in high levels of anxiety and stress, the brain's resources are too busy managing the perceived danger, which seems for your body like it's real danger. It might be just you having an exam or something perceived danger to create and consolidate memories. So from an evolutionary perspective, if anxiety is your brain's way of registering the need for a fight-or-flight response, it is far too focused on the threat, the perceived threat at hand, to make a mental note of the name of your childhood neighbor or what this book or TikTok is about. 
So in that way, anxiety that is on the rise and it is actually skyrocketing has a very, very clear negative effect on consolidating memories. And for depression, the memory issue takes another form because, quote, people who have depression often have much worse memory for memories that were formed when they were not depressed because those suddenly become very dissimilar to their current state. And memory works in such a way that one is more likely to remember something the more similar their current situation or their current cues are to the condition under which their memory was formed. So because people who are depressed are experiencing a totally different reality from what they're used to, they're not even able to reach, to access how their life used to be. They're not even able to imagine it how it was really and let alone access very specific pieces of information. And again, we see that depression is on the rise and sometimes people even numb themselves and purposefully forget traumatizing pieces of information or pieces of information about very negative periods of their lives in order to move on. So in that way, forgetting becomes a coping mechanism. And the last explanation that I found very interesting was actually the educational system and the way that it is currently designed in most areas of the world and how these education systems are putting too much of an emphasis on memorizing simply too many irrelevant pieces of information. Uh, even if you read something many years ago and it gives you like a goosebump feeling or a feeling of mm -hmm. excitement, and even if you can't remember the words, I don't think it's that important. I think we spend too much time, it's something to do with the educational system. Well, we have to memorize a lot. We have to like remember, you know, remember lines from poems. We have to remember formulas and equations. We have to remember dates. There's been an overemphasis on measuring people, like I said, about how good they are at memory. And this is something to do with also sifting and sorting people for, for professions and jobs. Mm. You know, if you want to be a lawyer or if you're going to be an actor or if you're going to be anything really, having a good memory uh, is always deemed to be very important. But I think it's time. because we have a lot of subjects that keep getting more and more complicated as the world develops. And students with trying to stay relevant, having other aspects of their lives, being pressured to also develop passions and be well-read and educated, they simply cannot do it all. We cannot afford to learn it all anymore. I believe that we have to make the educational system more specific for what students actually want to learn. Because as in the past, it might have been easier to get the basic view of a couple of subjects. These days, I believe that the syllabus in most of the subjects is just way too complex. Because realistically speaking, you get out of school and you're only going to use the information from a couple of ones. And... I guess to end this podcast on a lighter note, I wanted to share my thoughts on what I think can be done. So again, sharing the perspective of other people that I'm really lucky to have had the chance to interview. 
There are a couple of ways that we can go about it, from being more collective to decreasing the pace and expectations of what we actually need to know, the information that we surround ourselves with, and the way that we approach education, memorizing, and what we actually want to focus on. Again, as a cliche as it sounds, community, collective living, and slower living always seems to be the answer. Even in this seemingly specific topic of memory, anxiety and depression, again, has such a horrible effect on something that is so crucial in so many aspects of our lives. I guess I am coming out of this period of my life of great anxiety about memory with a bit more self-compassion. Because at the end of the day, me rarely focusing on the past, rarely reminiscing, rarely going back and rarely talking about what was, means that I am not going to be that kind of person that can tell you what happened on, on a specific day a couple of years ago. But that is my biological or cognitive makeup. Hopefully, if I surround myself with great people with whom I can work or get to experience many things, they can be my external storage, so to speak. And with me living a bit slowly, a bit more mindfully and intentionally, maybe the issue of decreasing memory can be avoided. But I am really shocked by this being such a crucial aspect of what it means to be human and people not really talking about it. Not talking about it enough, I think. And my episode here is an invitation to you to think about this, to think how you feel about this. If you want to share some thoughts, hit me up. I hope that you enjoyed this slightly newer format. I hope that you enjoyed different perspectives in this episode. And I hope that you are well. So take care of yourself. And in the meantime, I'll keep wondering. <laughs>